Hello and welcome to Simple Self-Care by Naturally Randy Kay. This is a podcast dedicated to simplifying the healing journey by aligning your self-care practices with your own inner wisdom and the natural cycles outside and within. Though self-care has become quite the buzzword, it's actually a vital tool that can fit beautifully into your everyday life. Join me as we explore how to create a deep and meaningful relationship with ourself naturally, intentionally, and simply. Hello and welcome once again to Simple Self-Care. And today on the podcast, we are talking all things lady parts with Lisa Hendrickson Jack, a certified fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner who teaches women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. And I am very pumped to be talking about all of these things with Lisa because it is all very, very important learning. But if you have a hard time hearing about menstruation and ovulation and birth control and all of that, then this episode might not be for you, but I do highly encourage you to take this as an opportunity to learn more and get more empowered about this topic. Even if you don't have female parts, you are more than likely in close relationship with someone who does, and they would really appreciate you having more awareness around this topic. So let's get to it. Lisa is the author of The Fifth Vital Sign and the host of the Fertility Friday podcast, a weekly radio show devoted to helping women connect their fifth vital sign by uncovering the connection between menstrual cycle health, fertility, and overall health. And in our conversation today, we just start to scratch the surface on all of these topics, but I think you'll get a lot out of it, really. So take a listen as we chat about how to use your cycle as a sign of overall health, not just a way to track fertility, what a healthy period and cycle looks like, how to have a positive relationship with your cycle. That's right, a positive one. It's possible and it's awesome. The importance of body literacy and why we need to understand how our body works, lifestyle habits that promote fertility and healthy cycles, how to track your natural rhythms when you aren't cycling anymore, care for women with endometriosis, a healthier alternative to hormonal birth control and how to transition off of it, how tracking your cycles help you tune into your deep truths. Yes, and so much more. So enjoy. Welcome, Lisa, to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So for people that aren't familiar with you and your work, I think it's always just nice to have you do the intro instead of me (laughs) fangirling too hard. So if you could share um, your work, uh, what you're about and what you're working on right now, because I know that is always evolving. Um, And then maybe some backstory on how you got into speaking about fertility and, and gained your passion for this subject. Yeah, for sure. Um, So my, I guess, entrance, into fertility awareness started pretty young because uh, like a lot of women, I was uh, put on the birth control pill when I was late teens, like 16 or so. And 
I mean, that's what I wanted. I went to the doctor because I had really heavy periods and they were painful and I was big into sports and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, I only had to say a couple words and he was already writing the prescriptions uh, because at the time that's all I knew how to handle it. So my experience with that was that it was like magic. You know, I took the pill and then my periods, air quotes, were easier to manage. And so I had this idea in my head. I was like, oh, sweet, it fixed. <laughs> and so I would come off of it uh, from time to time because I wasn't using it for birth control at that time. And uh, my periods would just be worse or the same as they were before. So even though I didn't have the language to describe it, I did know at a pretty early age that the pill wasn't actually solving the problem. Like it was doing something to my body, but it wasn't the same thing as when I'm not on it. So I do feel like I did have that perspective. And um, I'm, uh, my, my parents, like I'm West Indian descent and my dad would every now and then kind of just be like, are you still taking those pills? <laughs> and so I just had this, I guess you could say experience of like, maybe I shouldn't be on this forever. So when I then did need birth control, uh, kind of fast forward to first couple years of university there, I remember thinking to myself, because I hadn't been on it for birth control, I wasn't taking it at the right time but I was always a nerd. So I had read the insert and I knew that, like it said, like if you missed it, you would have to take two or whatever it said. And so I remember thinking that if I was using this for birth control, I'd always be really kind of paranoid. So I did the opposite of what a lot of people do because I actually went off the pill when I needed birth control. And I decided I was going to use condoms because I felt like if I was pregnant, at least I would know, like I had this weird kind of like, I didn't want to be pregnant and taking the pill and not know or something. And so uh, it was right around that time that I discovered fertility awareness. So it was kind of meant to be. On my university campus, there was a group of women who taught fertility awareness. So, you know, I started attending their monthly sessions. And before you know it, I was, I took a training class and I was teaching and all of this. So I kind of, I wouldn't say I fell into it, but I kind of fell into it because it resonated immediately. I was going to use condoms anyways. And then there was a way for me to tell when I was fertile. And that was fantastic because all of a sudden now I didn't actually have to be afraid because I understood how my cycle worked and another part of my story was that my cycles weren't normal so they were really long and um my uh and I kind of thought it was okay I didn't know I was young and I was like oh my cycles are long and that's okay and fortunately for me though one of my charting instructors she uh you know looked at my chart and she was like Lisa your cycles are too long and your temperatures are too low you should get your thyroid checked so that opened up a whole other can of worms because, I mean, it totally floored me that someone could look at my cycles and tell me, you know, that I might have a health problem. Obviously, that meant that there was more to this cycle charting <laughs> situation. And so essentially, that is what put me on this path. And so initially, I was just, you know, teaching in a very um, casual, like, way in the sense that I didn't think I could make a career out of it. You know, so it's kind of like a nonprofit like thing that I was doing on the side because I was really passionate about it. And when I, you know, I, I suppose a big turning point in my career, I guess you could say, was when I had my son. And by then I had been teaching and charting for about a decade or so. And it just occurred to me, you know, most women don't have this knowledge. So I was kind of able to take it all for granted. I was able to avoid pregnancy successfully with this non-hormonal method throughout my 20s. And then when my husband and I decided we want to have a family, I just kind of switched, <laughs> switched the days <laughs> for the unprotected uh, sex. And uh, 
but I realized that so many women are struggling with fertility issues. So many women don't understand that the pill is not regulating the cycle, you know. So that's basically what leads me to now. So part of your question was, what am I working on now? And so I'm working on another book. And I mean, ultimately, when I think about what I want my contribution to be, it's really to kind of answer that question. So many women say, why wasn't I taught this? You know, if we wait around for the government to sort this out and to make it part of the school system, we'll just be waiting until we're old. And maybe even then they won't do it. So it's just about getting this information out there. Yes. Where to go from here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I guess I was really drawn to your work because of so and you even give it a shout out in your latest book. Um I'm a Arvigo practitioner. So my abdominal massage and I have always been drawn to um as a body worker working the abdomen a lot just for various reasons, healing back pain, digestion, all sorts of things. And when I stumbled upon abdominal massage, particularly, I had this whole journey with my body of like, oh, my cycle is actually very important, like a very important uh, doorway into the health of my entire body. And I kind of knew that and, and just being in the holistic world was like, I don't know about birth control. I've had my own highs and lows with it. So I was also doing condoms, but I was, I still had kind of a negative relationship with my cycle. It was irregular. It was painful, you know, all of these things. And it's always something that even the language around our periods is just like, so negative, <laughs> like, oh, my body hates me. And, blah, 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 and just like, yeah. So it wasn't until I learned what's actually happening with the anatomy, with the systems, how amazing the uterus is and all that it's doing at any given moment. It's just like, oh, it's like, hey, period, let's have a conversation, you know, and let's use this. And I, I actually being pregnant right now, I kind of miss getting my cycle because of the relationship that I have um, developed with it. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, um, and, and nutshell version, but like the, just the gift that your cycle can be and what it's all telling us and why it's so much more than just being pregnant or not pregnant, not trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant, like why having a relationship with this cycle is so valuable to our life. Oh, I love that question. I'm trying to think of where to start to answer it. I mean, what you said is important. You know, the menstrual cycle is more than just being able to have babies. And so I think the first thing I'll say is that as a woman of reproductive age, the menstrual cycle is not something that is separate to our health. So I, I love analogies. And so the analogy I often use when describing this is, you know, if you buy a car, you can get the air conditioning separate. <laughs> and if you don't opt, I mean, I don't know if you can do that anymore because this is like me dating myself because maybe cars <laughs> don't have that option to not have it anymore. I don't know. I don't even know. are doing all kinds of crazy things with the push start and all that. But, but my point is that if you didn't get, have air conditioning in the car, the car would still work just fine. And it doesn't really matter. And that's kind of like in terms of the engine function. And that's kind of how we've been taught about our menstrual cycles. We've been taught that it's, 
it doesn't matter if we, you know, take a pill for 20 years and shut it down. Like it, 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 it's only about having babies and that's all that matters. And so as a woman of reproductive age, the menstrual cycle is a sign of health because when your body is actually working properly, when you are healthy, when you're good, when you don't have an underlying endocrine disorder, underlying inflammation, issues with insulin resistance, you know, when you are good and you're healthy, no thyroid problems, all of that, then your cycle is good. And so a healthy cycle is essentially reflecting back your, your state of health. And so when you do have issues with your cycle, the, you know, that is the, the sign that something's going on. So if you have irregular cycles consistently, every, anybody can have a cycle that's a bit longer or a bit shorter from time to time. And that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a problem. But if you have a consistent issue, you know, you're ovulating four or five times a year, your cycles are well over 35 days, um, you know, between periods, and it's kind of up and down all the time. If you have significant pain with menstruation, as much as our culture tells us that that's totally normal and fine, that's a sign of a problem because other outside of childbirth, um, what other time is it totally fine to have pain? Um, from when you said, you know, cultivating a relationship with your cycle, I think that that's really interesting because, uh, you know, any woman who has cycles for a period of time will recognize that her moods and her energy levels throughout the course of her cycle aren't always the same. And that's really shed, put in a negative light by our culture, right? We're, we're kind of taught that this is a problem, like dragon time. Uh, but from, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's a blessing, it's a gift in the sense that so as somebody who has been cycling for two you know, plus decades with, without being on hormonal contraceptives, I've actually found this monthly cyclical journey to be very valuable in my life. And so it's not always like con super convenient, but um, if you think about the cycle, um, a really great analogy that I use a lot um, that I, there's a woman named Alexandra Pope and Shawnee Hugo Wurlitzer and together they wrote the book Wild Power and they talk about this concept of, you know, the, the different aspects of your menstrual cycle as seasons of the year. So if you think about your menstrual cycle, when you're bleeding, it's like your inner winter, usually not the time you feel like running out and celebrating life. <laughs> um, usually the time you want to kind of kick back and kind of just nest a little bit. And as you approach ovulation, that's kind of like your spring summer is around the time of ovulation. So a lot of women will find that that's when they feel more energetic, creative, outgoing. It's not a hard and fast rule, but a general generalization. And then after ovulation, as you approach your period, that's kind of like the inner fall when you're winding down a little bit, often not feeling as energetic and excited. And obviously the week before your period, if you're going to have PMS, that's when it's going to be. And that can be, you know, a challenging time, but assuming health. So PMS is even a sign of how you're doing health-wise because yeah, it's normal to have some mood changes, but if you're like totally <laughs> um, inconsolable, really depressed and having some really serious symptoms, that's also a sign that there's something wrong. So all of these different aspects of it are signs. But throughout my life, what I can say is that having those changes, I always say that during that kind of fall pre-menstruum period phase, uh, it's like having a secretary <laughs> 
who comes, to, you know, and throws all of the things that you don't feel like dealing with on your desk at one time every cycle. Mm -hmm. So if you have a job that you hate or a person that you're dating that isn't the best person or whatever else is going on, it's brought to your attention sometimes in very inconvenient ways. But what I have found throughout this journey of life is that that helps me to stay focused on what is important. So in terms of having a relationship with my cycle, I mean, not only am I getting information about health, if I want to go crazy on the sugar and all kinds of stuff, I'm certainly going to be, see that in my cycles. So it's, it's always helping me to stay on track with my goals of health. But emotionally also, I feel that it, it, it's really beneficial because it always keeps me focused on what matters, I guess. That's just my experience, but I know a lot of women have similar experiences with their cycles as well. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I think there's a lot of, we're missing out on a lot if we um, disregard our our pain and disregard our emotions and like what comes up during that really emotional period. Like Like you said, it's definitely exaggerated and that gets to be greeted with love and compassion <laughs> but it it's bringing up stuff that maybe you wouldn't have brought up anyway and so it's all worth listening to and that's what I do miss about my cycle is um yeah just having that kind of information and to use it as a gauge of how I am doing health-wise and, um, and that's why I love pairing that with, um, the abdominal massage. Cause in the style that I'm trained in, you teach people how to do a self-care routine. And so, um, doing the self-care routine daily or a couple of days a week or times a week has helped me, um, just be checking in regularly. And I can tell a difference from when I'm doing the massage or when I'm not, or when I'm going through a stressful period. And when I'm not, like you said, it's just, it's all there and it's just connecting the dots. So you can have, you can be present with yourself and also again, practice that compassion because I think a lot of judgment comes with being emotional or, oh, my cycle's later than usual. What, you know, a frustration and just feeling like your body's like against you almost. You don't wake up during your luteal phase, like the premenstrual, and you're not like mad that the sky is blue or like <laughs> right. upset that like, you know what I mean? Like it, the grass is green. It's greener today. Like it's, it's, it's never <laughs> so something that is totally useless. It's always something that you already, it's, a, it's an existing issue that you have that is being brought to the forefront. Like you said, it's being highlighted. But mm -hmm. where our culture basically tells us that we're irrational and emotional, like this whole kind of anti-woman garbage, um, like there's something wrong with us because we have emotions. Like actually, right. emotions are good. We should all have emotions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you shouldn't invalidate, you know, how I feel just because I'm, I mean, obviously there are times when I'm not my best self <laughs> when it comes to those particular issues. So I'm not going to pretend it's all roses, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's served me um, as long as I keep my health in check. And as long as those symptoms are never out of control, it serves me in the end because it's highlighting things that are real and important. Yes. So what does a healthy period look like generally? Um, well, that's a great question. So a healthy period I'll talk about, but if you want, I can also talk about the whole cycle. Oh, yes. 
when I ask about it's, it's it's kind of tongue in cheek, but when I ask about you know what is your menstrual cycle like or something like that, if I'm talking to a client, they'll tell me about their period, but it's like what about the rest of it? Mm-hmm. Um, so the menstrual cycle, the first day of the menstrual cycle is the first day of your true flow. So you know many women will have a day or two of a, a bit of spotting before they start to have their actual period. But those days of spotting, we would consider them as part of the, the previous cycle. So it's the first day of your true flow. And then it lasts all the way until the day of before your next cycle. So, or your next period, I should say. So that's the whole menstrual cycle. So if we start at the period, a healthy period is anywhere from about three to seven days in length. And an average, maybe about four to five days. And a period should be like a sentence. It should have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then it should be over. And so typically we're seeing the period start moderate to heavy, and then it typically kind of gradually um, decreases. So uh, you're typically losing the vast majority of your overall blood between, you know, by day two or day three. So anyone who's had a period is kind of nodding their head. So it typically starts off heavier and then it kind of um, gradually decreases, but then it should stop. So if you're having bleeding, you know, beyond that, you know, bleeding for 10 days or you have bleeding in your period, but you also have, so it's not uncommon to have a little bit of spotting with ovulation occasionally, not necessarily every cycle, but occasionally, and certainly a couple days of spotting before the period isn't ideal, but it's certainly common. But if you're having bleeding, lots of bleeding, random days of bleeding mid-cycle, that's a problem. And so you're you know, the the majority of this bleeding should actually just be during your period. Um, I always say that although it's really common for women to have pain, moderate to severe pain is, you know, common doesn't mean normal and healthy or optimal. So, you know, imagine if a man in your life, your father, brother, cousin, (laughs) friend, had moderate to severe pain in his penis for a couple of days every cycle, you know, not every cycle, I guess, every month. Uh, No one would think that that's okay. But we've, I think we've been brainwashed to think that it's totally okay to have moderate to severe pain with periods. And I talk about this because I used to have a lot of pain with periods. And when I had my first son, I was in labor all day and I didn't know I was in labor because I kept thinking, eh, my period pain is worse than this. It must be Braxton Hicks. Like it was legitimate like contractions that I was having all day. In retrospect, I know this. Um, <laughs> so that we shouldn't be just expecting to, um, we shouldn't be expected to tolerate that. And so just to kind of put it out there, so at least you hear someone say this. And of course, as an Arvigo practitioner, I'm sure that you preach this to your clients all the time. Um, but yeah, moderate to severe pain is a sign of a potential issue. And women who do have significant pain with their cycles often have an underlying issue, you know, whether it's endometriosis or just, um, uh, you know, some kind of inflammatory pelvic issue, but it could also just be inflammation. But either way, it's not optimal. Um, and so that's your period. I'll kind of stop it there. And if I take you through the cycle, so a healthy cycle can range anywhere from about 24 to 35 days. So we're often told that it has to be 28 days. Ovulation has to happen on day 14. But it turns out that we're not robots. And we actually have some degree of fluctuation from cycle to cycle, and that's okay. So if you have uh, a few days of fluctuation from cycle to cycle, that doesn't mean that you have an irregular cycle. So if your cycle is like 27 days, one cycle, 32 days, that can be completely fine. Uh, what's considered irregular is if you're actually fluctuating more than about eight days from cycle to cycle. So if it's like, you know, 29 days, 42 days, then we would actually consider it to be irregular. And 29 days is actually the average. 
So that's helpful. So when you're going through your cycle, you have your period. And then um, typically you would have a couple of days that we call dry days from a fertility awareness perspective before you start to see cervical fluid. So cervical fluid is one of the main signs of fertility that you would be looking for if you're charting your cycles. Uh, it can be clear, stretchy like raw egg whites or um, creamy white like hand lotion. And so in a healthy cycle, you would actually expect to see anywhere from about two to seven days of cervical fluid as you approach ovulation. And then once you ovulate, you would expect that to go away. So ovulation is key uh, in a healthy cycle. And then after ovulation, you would expect about 12 to 14 days between ovulation and your period. So ovulation is variable in the cycle. It doesn't always happen on day 14. And if the cycle is anywhere from um, 24 to 35 days, ovulation can happen as early as day 10 or even as late as like day 23 or something like that, just to give you a sense of the range. Um, but once you ovulate, typically that second half of the cycle is more stable. So you can predict when your period is coming. I like in your book how you nerd out on all the anatomy and the research. And so um, for people that are interested in learning more, like you've got pictures, you've got like, because I've read fertility books where it's more of concepts, but I really like with yours that it's the, the nitty gritty what's happening in the body. There's like a couple chapters on cervical fluid. I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it. Like, <laughs> so, um, so I appreciate you, um, nerding out and really giving those concrete details because again, like we need to have body, you even say it in your book. And I wrote this quote down, um, body literacy. And the sentence that I like is we can talk about birth control too, but there's no right birth control for every woman, but body literacy is every woman's right. And this is what body literacy looks like is understanding your anatomy, your fluids, the timing, all of that, the whole relationship together. So anyway, that got me just hearing you talk was like, yes, body <laughs> literacy. Yeah. Cervical fluid. Because it's not that complicated. Like, so it's it's interesting, right? Because I did like I did have a whole chapter on cervical fluid. I've had a lot of feedback, particularly from health practitioners like yourself, who are like, "Whoa, this is a lot to know." And one of the reasons that I included all that is because I feel like you shouldn't have to go to fertility awareness teacher training to learn that. I feel like we should all be able to learn it. Because although you can make it as complicated as you want to, I didn't even include all the details, all the different types of mucus, if you want to go into it more, right? Because <laughs> um, you can go to the weeds. Yeah. But so it can be, you know, it's, it's certainly complicated. It's a, a very elegant, amazing system that we have, uh, of, of, you know, our fertility and our reproductive system. But at the same time, it's like not that complicated. And once women learn, I'm sure you can relate, then you, you kind of instantly get pissed off about it <laughs> because you're just like <laughs> so I understand that like you can write 200 pages of this but it's like is it in my underwear or not like is it on the toilet paper or not and like that tells me when I'm fertile like you're telling me that you couldn't have taught me this like I remember learning a lot about my ears and eyes and stuff and so I feel like yeah it's as complicated <laughs> as we want it to be but it's pretty straightforward and we should actually be learning it yes agreed well and that's why people like you are so important so we can have it accessible and use it as empowerment. Like, and I really feel like more than ever, especially as women, like we need to be standing up for just 
unfortunately we need to be standing up for very like body positive ways of being and um and what our needs are during these times and i <laughs> i don't know the this is a story I'll keep in here, but the, <laughs> I had a moment recently with my husband who has um, beautiful long hair and he was leaving it all over the bathroom. And I was like in a moment and I'm just like, how come I can bleed every month and you have no idea, but you can't hide your hair. Like, <laughs> and then he was like, what? I'm sorry. Like I, I it was mean. Like, but the principle, it's valid. It's a valid you know, question. well, and it just brought up the principle that like, as women, we have been trained to pretend like it doesn't exist. Nobody wants to see it. There's, you know, cultures in the world that aren't even allowed to say period or I'm menstruating. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just, I feel like it's really empowering to be able to have this full understanding and operate in the world in a way where you're not embarrassed by it. You are honoring it. Therefore, the people around you get to honor it. And it's just a way to change things. And I also believe that that fits into the health of our cycles when we're treating it like that. It gives it permission to actually operate healthier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's fundamental. And it's, I mean, I, I'm at the point now where, I mean, I don't know if I would say it's intentional, intentionally left out, but it does make you wonder. Uh, and if you think about it, if you think about science and the history of medicine, medicine is the study of the male body. And in scientific research, historically, they would even only study male animals. Because if you studied female animals, well, they've got all these hormones, right? It, it complicates the study. So it's a real thing. They, they, you know, many studies, they don't even study female animals. And then when it comes to medications on the market, uh, you know, having a male body as the standard for these medications, some of these medications interact differently in, in female bodies. And um, similarly to the way the female body responds to certain illnesses, I mean, doctors that were trained way back in the day weren't necessarily trained that women the you know women and female bodies respond different to heart attacks and so women were having heart attack symptoms but they weren't responding in the same way as men and so I mean I could go on but I think you get my point sometimes you got to wonder like is it intentional like why don't we learn about this it's standard biology that we're talking about here and when doctors who went to medical school read my book they're saying to themselves, wow, I didn't learn this. So that's crazy, right? That, crazy. that I would be sharing anatomy details of the female reproductive cycle that doctors are not taught in med school. Does that make any sense? Okay, but it's a thing. It's real. Yeah, that's wild. So for people that are listening and they hear, they're starting to get these nudges from their body that something's off and they want to embark on this healthier approach to their cycle. What are some starting points besides reading your book um, <laughs> that people can start doing in their lifestyle? Like what does a healthy lifestyle look like to invite a healthy cycle? 
Well, that's a great question. I mean, given that I spend my days teaching women to chart their cycles, you know, uh, sometimes it's for general awareness, but it's often for birth control or for conception um, to really try to figure out what's going on with the cycle. I would say charting your cycle is really helpful. So if you are not currently using hormonal birth control um, or a birth control method that is otherwise suppressing your natural cycle, then even just paying attention to when your periods are coming. Um, a lot of uh, my clients will say, you know, before they started charting, they just downloaded their period tracker apps and they just kind of noted when their periods were. Even that is really helpful because I, I had a client once and she had like a spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets, but she had this <laughs> spreadsheet <laughs> and I swear it had almost 10 years worth of just cycles. Like it, she wasn't tracking her cervical fluid. And I get, you know, cause I'm the, fan teacher so I get a lot of like you know it wasn't I, I was only tracking my period but like I'm like do you know how much information is there so she has like all these years of her cycles and so we can gain a lot even just by paying attention to that to start to get a sense of um, you know how much time between cycles because you can think whatever you want about your cycle length but when you track 12 cycles in you know however long if it's a year or less or more um, you actually see how regular, like how, what, how long it is and how much you're affected by stress or illness or whatever, like you actually start to see it. Um, so what's helpful about that, you know, is to establish a baseline of what is normal for you. And certainly if you're, again, if you're not using a hormonal uh, method, you can pay attention to your cervical fluid. You don't have to use it as birth control necessarily if that's not what you want to do, but even just to have an idea, I think most women are really interested and fascinated to find that out and to even just know what that is. <laughs> when I was a teenager and I started cycling, I can remember kind of in retrospect now, like I remember going to my mom and I was like, what's this stuff in my underwear? And she was like, just wear a panty lighter. And so I did. And like, that was it. <laughs> now I know that it was my cervical fluid because some days I would feel really, really wet. And I remember being uncomfortable. And then other days I, I wouldn't. And I didn't, you know, obviously make that connection when I was 15 years old. But looking back, I mean, geez, every woman should know, even to prevent her from going to the doctor and thinking she has a recurring infection every single, you know, 30 day period or whatever. Um, but back to your question about like, you know, how can you use this? So I would say that's a good first step just to have that sense. If you are on a hormonal method, I think it's helpful to just pay attention to your body and your feelings. Like, pick a couple of markers, like whether it's your energy levels, you know, if you're feeling tired. I think most of us have certain things that we're concerned about if you're wanting to track if you get headaches or whatever you want to track. Just pay, just start paying attention to some of those markers and writing them down is really helpful. You know how many women I talk to who maybe do have headaches and it's really only when we're talking that they kind of pick up that, oh, they could be cyclical. Maybe they're associated with a certain part of my cycle, or maybe they're around ovulation. And just by identifying that as like a first step to kind of investigating what you can do to, to improve that or reduce or eliminate that from happening. Um, and in terms of healthy lifestyle pieces, like that's a loaded question because I could probably talk about that all day. Mm -hmm. But a few of the basic things um, without going too much into the weeds, sleep, <laughs> sleep in the dark. That's one of the best things you can do. So getting a, at least seven, seven and a half hours of sleep, whatever is your, whatever your body needs, but most 
from a scientific standpoint, most of us need at least seven hours. Um, so getting enough sleep and sleeping in the dark. So a lot of women with cycle issues, whether they have concerns about a short luteal phase, the second half of the cycle or spotting or something like that, um, you know, one of the first things you want to rule out. So when you're sleeping at night, it's supposed to be dark. And that darkness is what allows your body to make melatonin, which is um, optimal melatonin levels in balance, like when you're supposed to have them at night in balance with the cortisol levels that you're supposed to have during the day, um, sets you up for hormone balance. And so if you're sleeping and the TV's on or you've got a giant light, that will disrupt the hormones. So um, any of my clients who are listening to this are going to laugh at me because I'm always talking about sleep. Um, and I won't go into like a ton of things, but I would say um, in terms of diet, so I'm not one to say like this is the type of diet that you need to eat. But um, for healthy menstrual cycles, we need a good balance of protein, fat, and carbohydrates at every meal. That helps to maintain a balanced blood sugar. And so it's helpful from a general sense not to just only eat white bread all the time because that can, like as an example, like to tongue in cheek, but it's helpful to at each meal have a balance of protein, fat, and carbohydrates that helps us to maintain a good blood sugar balance. And it's also helpful to eat enough food to make sure you're getting three full meals a day. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of other things that we could add to this category. I think some of those are foundational, but I'll also say just start to be aware of products, chemicals, whether it's leached menstrual products that we're inserting into our vaginas that are leaching all kinds of chemicals in there, or whether it's every single product, beauty product that was ever made for women. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I say that, but I'm not even joking. It's like, know. whether it's lotion, deodorant, like all of these things. So really start looking into xenoestrogens and chemicals. We're being bombarded on, uh, you know, at every front with these chemicals. It's in, in the food, the pesticides and all those types of things. And those are known endocrine disruptors or studies upon studies upon studies about phthalates and all of these I could just go on. So I would say those are three good tips, three good places to start. Love that. I think I really love that you started with just paying attention because I think as a culture, we're so just like, tell me what to do. Give me the protocol. Like, you know, I, I'm going to add this to my life and add this to my life. When really there's so much wisdom to just being present with yourself and using that as the information that you need and and being present is one of the hardest things you can do like it takes practice to learn how to do that and I think that's why so many of us are resistant to it <laughs> it's like I don't want to do that but just tell me what else I can do <laughs> but really that is the key of um even knowing what you need because you could embark on a path of healing that isn't what your body's calling for. Like that's just like your mental or someone marketed to you in a certain way, thinking that's what you need or whatever. So I love that. Well, I gotta say, that's one of the things that I really love about this whole concept of cycle charting and tracking and the kind of reaching that understanding that the cycle, your menstrual cycle with ovulation is a vital sign and it's, um, uh, a really important and useful biomarker when you were giving that example of like someone's marketing something to you you know there's a lot of bad type of diets like I'm not 
I'll try not to throw any particular ones on, under the bus, but there are certain diets that advocate for the removal of significant macronutrients, right? And a lot of women fall into these um, kind of restrictive eating patterns, not even intentionally, but kind of falling into it because of all of the different reasons. And everybody can't eat the same way because we're not all the same. So when you're tracking your cycles, there's only like, there's a limit to how much you could tell yourself that's not true. Like you can like just not eat. Like, so for, I'll, I'll give one example, I think is a little bit less controversial, but um, there's a huge trend of intermittent fasting and there's a lot of male influencers and men. Okay. Men's bodies are different to women's bodies. These are different. Like we're not all the same. <laughs> so men can get amazing results from skipping breakfast and eating their like two meals a day or you know having one meal a day or eating every two days I don't know but men re respond differently to those types of things so there's a lot of male influencers who've really and fitness experts and gurus who've had amazing results by doing these things but when women try to skip a meal and do those same things and like eat two meals a day or eat one meal a day what often happens is their cycles get messed up. Like they'll start to see spotting before their period. They'll start to see ovulation being disrupted or delayed. They might lose their period or start, their cycles might start to be irregular. And so what I find, I always say that menstrual cycle is a great equalizer. Like, I don't care what you say, let me see your charts because your charts are gonna tell what's happening because essentially your body doesn't lie. So you can, by tapping into that and just paying attention, you can get that feedback. Is what I'm doing working or not well? Are you ovulating? And does your cycle fall within normal range? There's your answer. Yeah. What would you say for women that um, have endometriosis, uh, PCOS, or they, they've had hysterectomies, or they've even gone through menopause, so they're not cycling anymore, um, but still want to be connecting to that cyclical rhythm that is a good question and i kind of when i'm thinking about it so a woman with endometriosis so i mean endometriosis is certainly characterized in many cases not all cases but by significant pain um, throughout the menstrual cycle it's interesting because not all women with endometriosis will necessarily have pain um, but obviously fertility challenges are highly correlated then as well so for a woman who's basically had horrific experiences with menstruation and it has been horrible and terrible depending on where she is in her journey uh, whether she's kind of earlier like younger or whether she's you know had this issue for 20 years like I think it's going to um, obviously be a different a difference in her level of tolerance and patience for this but one thing I'd want for women with endometriosis to know are that is that it is possible to significantly improve your situation. It doesn't mean it's gonna go away. It doesn't mean it's gonna go away um, in a cycle or two, but once you learn the underlying issues, which are related to inflammation, and um, whether it's lesions and all of the things that, um, that I'm sure that you talk about all the time, but I would just, the first thing I would wanna say regarding that category is that um, it is possible to experience significant improvements in your symptoms. So whether that is working with 
an Arvigo practitioner like yourself to actually address the physical, the physicality of it um, in combination with dietary changes, lifestyle specific targeted supplementation to address inflammation and understanding how to um, reduce the immune dysregulation essentially that is associated with having that condition. So that's kind of like a side topic, but I suppose the summary of that is that there's there's hope depending on where you are in your journey and there's certainly ways to improve that. Um, and if you think about your menstrual cycle as a vital sign, then although it's horrific, it's telling you that there's something wrong. It's telling you that there's something off. And so even in the darkest hour, I always say like your, your uterus, your body, it doesn't have a cell phone. It can't text you and be like, Hey, stop eating. I don't know, trans fats. I don't you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so our body talks to us with symptoms and pain and, um, discomfort, you know, that's how our body gets our attention. For women who have had hysterectomy or women who have um, already like experienced menopause, I mean, it's still possible to, it's, just, it's similar to what I said before about women who are on hormonal contraceptives. I mean, you, there's a certain things that you're going to want to pay attention to. I think every woman has her own kind of short list of symptoms that she's concerned about or wants to pay attention to, whether that's her energy level, stress, whether it's, um, I'm trying to think of other, like if, if you have any symptoms that you experience on a regular basis, um, I think that it's, it can be really helpful to just track those things. And so get a calendar and just every day make a little note, have your own little system, make a couple little you know, um, symbols or whatever the case is, and just start paying attention. And you might notice incredible things. You might notice certain things change seasonally. You might notice things change um, with the lunar calendar. So if you don't have a, a cycle, it can be helpful to, you know, if you want to, if you're interested to track based on the lunar calendar and see if that has an effect on anything for you as well. So um, I think one of the challenges for women particularly who are discovering this whole world of the menstrual cycle and how it can be so useful and helpful but at an older age or you know a lot of women who reach out to me in their 40s are just like man I feel like I missed out on two decades of being able to track like I just I just discovered this all now and I'm so upset that I couldn't do this before and so you know there's definitely that feeling of loss and frustration what I always say is like you can't go back in time so our society is just messed up. So we're trying to change that, but you can still empower yourself. Enjoy the time that you have. Like if you're still cycling, you know, enjoy that time. Um, if you're not cycling, still learn about it. I had a woman take uh, one of my classes and she had already gone through menopause and she just really wanted to learn. And we talked about this and how she could track and what signs that she could track just in general for her own information. And there's always the next generation nieces friends children cousins daughters so maybe your role is to you know spread awareness through the next generation yeah I love that I do have women that I work with and do abdominal work with who have had hysterectomies and um, that were healing some of the tissues but it's also and this relates with women that have gone through menopause it's just the work is reconnecting and healing your relationship with that area of the body because it goes through 
so much trauma just on its own, even in the healthiest of circumstances, um, especially if you've given birth and all that. Um, but there's a disconnect with this power, feminine source and power that happens in this area of the body energetically and in our tissues. And so that's been a really uh, cool thing to witness with some of the women that I work with of them just learning about this stuff as part of their healing for what they've been through and then reigniting that really amazing, powerful part of themselves by tuning into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's different for everybody. And I wonder, of course, what the world would be like if we could all be taught this information as young ladies and kind of take it through our reproductive lives. I often get asked the question, you know, like, what do you think for teenagers? You know, should you think teenagers should use fertility awareness? Kind of like the loaded question. And I always say, I think teenagers should use condoms. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And I I also think that fertility awareness isn't, uh, grown women, yes, we use it for birth control, but the concepts are not sexual inherently. So understanding about your cycle, understanding that cervical fluid is associated with ovulation and that um, when it goes away, you can expect your period to come in about two weeks that can help teenage girls to predict their period. Like who wouldn't have wanted that? If you, if I think back to back then, this would have been amazing. I mean, I did still learn pretty young, but I didn't learn when I had my first period when I was 14. So I would have loved it. I would have just, you know, it would have been the most fascinating thing. Um, And also what I shared with you about the seasons of the year, that, that analogy, I mean, how helpful would it be for a teenage girl to learn that like, oh, wow, there's changes that often happen based on your energy levels and your emotion and your creativity. I feel like these are really helpful, useful, practical things that um, can be really, really helpful. And one of the, it's like a um, bittersweet, I guess, for many women who may be listening, who are, you know, at that premenopause stage. If you do gain this knowledge and you're able to chart your cycles and and start to get that kind of biofeedback and you learn to sleep more when you see your cycle (laughs) messing up or you learn to lay off like in my case like lay off the conventional dairy if I don't want you know because I mean I don't experience pain with my cycles anymore because I've but these issues don't just disappear you manage them so I've learned how to certainly um, have healthy cycles I used to have I would say like nine eight or nine on a pain the pain scale is pretty ridiculous and now it's usually like 0.5 but if I wanted to I could still experience a five like I could go hard on like regular dairy from the store and you know eat all the sugar so what I'm saying is if you have the opportunity to chart and to start seeing how your cycle responds and you start to lean into that. And so you kind of play with things. We all do our own little experiments. Like what happens if I do a little bit of this or do a little bit of that? How much alcohol can I have? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you kind of start to, to have this dance. And what I've always found is that it prevents me from ever really going off the deep end. Like I'm in my late thirties now, I'm 37. And so 
I'm not the same as I was when I was 21. I can't go a whole week staying up late, not getting enough sleep and all that. But part of it is because I have my cycle to always remind me gently um, or not so gently if you really push it (laughs) that, you know, to keep you in check. And so when you do get into those mid to late forties and and you start to go through, so there's menopause is the word for your last period. And then there's the 10 years before menopause, that would be the pre-menopause period. It actually gives you the opportunity because as you get older, you don't have as much leeway. Like you can't do all the things. You can't stay up all night. You can't, you know, you can, sure you can, you can drink it you know, four glasses of wine every single night, but it's going to affect you differently. (laughs) So you know what I mean, but it helps you to kind of prepare for that phase so that it can be a bit more gentle. And when you start to see some of those challenges, you might know to lean back. But if you don't have the opportunity to kind of play around with this and to lean into this concept of kind of like living in line with what's good for your body, then it can be a huge just wake up call. It can just slap you in the face. Um, if you've been say working and doing all this stuff and, and you didn't have the biofeedback and then all of a sudden you have these horrible hot flashes and everything's going on, you're gaining weight. You don't, you see what I mean? It, it, life could be really different if we just kind of understood this concept earlier. Yes. And I want to be mindful of time, but I do want to touch on birth control for just a second. I feel like everything we talk about, we could have a whole like hour. <laughs> plus chat about there's so much to talk about so let's have to have you back at some point but um can you track your cycles accurately while you're on hormonal birth control so i would say for the most part no and the reason for that is because the vast majority of hormonal birth control options suppress your cycle so you're not having a cycle when you're taking them and you may still bleed on a regular basis but you're not ovulating therefore you're not having a true menstrual period so a true menstrual period can only occur when you ovulate in the menstrual cycle so in a natural menstrual cycle as you approach ovulation you're making lots of estrogen that is what is actually building up your uterine lining you ovulate and then you produce significant progesterone you only produce significant progesterone after ovulation. So if you're not ovulating, you're not making your natural progesterone. And then progesterone matures the lining. And then, you know, two weeks after ovulation, if you are you didn't have a fertilized egg, you're not pregnant, you're going to have your period. And that's a true menstrual period. So when you're taking uh, the pill, for example, what it's doing, the main mode of action is actually suppressing ovulation. So when you take it, it um, disrupts the normal feedback mechanism that happens between your um, hypothalamus, pituitary uh, gland, and ovaries. And so you don't ovulate. And that's very helpful when you're trying to avoid pregnancy. That's why it works. That's why it's a you know, highly effective method of, of birth control, because the main mode of action is to actually suppress ovulation in the vast majority of hormonal options. And so um, when you have your bleed, that is what's called a withdrawal bleed. And that simply means that when you are taking the synthetic hormones, so they're not the same, they call it estrogen and progesterone, but it's not because if you are a drug manufacturer and you want to make money, then you have to create your own version of this hormone so that you can patent it and sell it. And since you can't patent nature, you have to make a hormone that is close enough to estrogen that your estrogen receptors will accept it. 
but it has, you have to be able to put your name on it. So, um, so my point is that it's not the same. So when you're taking these synthetic estrogens and progestins, you know, for your 21 days, and then you pull that away and you start taking your sugar pills or you just take it your week break or your four day break or whatever, then that sudden drop of hormones causes your body to just, it's like it's resetting. And if you were to just come off of the birth control altogether, you would just have that reset bleed, the withdrawal bleed. And then at some point your body would kind of resume its stuff and you would ovulate and all of that. Um, So that's a long way of saying that when you are on hormonal contraceptives, for the most part, you can't really track your cycle in the same sense as you would if you weren't. So if you're cycling naturally, you can track your cervical fluid, you can track your basal body temperature. So your, your temperature, your, your resting body temperature, you, t- you know, take it every morning. It actually rises after ovulation because of that surge of progesterone. So you can track that, you can track your cervical position because it changes throughout the cycle. But if you're on hormonal birth control, you won't see cervical fluid because one of the modes of action is to dry that up and to um, have that natural cervical, whoops, I shouldn't say natural, but to have a cervical mucus plug in place so you the sperm couldn't get in if, if they wanted to. Um, so you're not going to see cervical fluid. You're not going to see a change in your cervix. You're not going to see a change in your temperature because you're not ovulating. You're not having a cycle. Um, and so you could, similar to the conversation before, like you can track other things if you want to track, like you can track your mood and the lunar cycle, but you wouldn't be able to track your cycle because you don't have a cycle on you. Okay. This is good to know because I think, especially with my experience being on birth control, there I did have a disconnect of like, I of my natural cycle, just thinking it was the same thing, but then so expecting to, to be able to tune into that way when really it was just being moderated by the hormonal pills. So I guess what advice would you have for, first of all, that knowledge I think is very important, um, but if for someone that is on birth control and for whatever reason isn't quite ready to go off of it or has their reasons for staying on, um, what could be their starting point for maybe embarking on the journey for the future <laughs> or you know what I mean because everyone's in a different place and different comfort levels and maybe it's something they want to consider at some point but for whatever reason they're going to stick with their current methods I guess is there any insight on the the journey of creating this relationship with yourself yeah I mean I would say that if you so for a lot of the women that I talk to they kind of just stay in this place for a little bit because you got to gather the information. You got to get comfortable. Our society tells you that you can get pregnant every day of your cycle, which is not true. So a lot of us have been brought up with this fear of an impending pregnancy at any time. And the pill was really the only solution that made sense for that paradigm. So there's a lot of fear. And I feel that, you know, one of my observations is that it was different 20 years ago. So when I first entered this discussion about 20 years ago, and I was trying to figure out how to avoid pregnancy before I was ready, I didn't feel like it, if I wasn't on the pill, I was just, it was just a matter of time. Like I didn't feel like it was either the pill or pregnant. I felt that condoms were a valuable option because that's how it was taught back then. And 
it has definitely changed. So the fear is real and we have to acknowledge that and um, wherever you're at is totally fine. So in terms of connecting, I would certainly say like consider paying attention to the lunar calendar. I think that that's a really great way to, because it's cyclical. So then at least you have a cyclical kind of base to pay attention to if that resonates with you. Um, if you are planning to come off of birth control and start charting. So if this is a conversation that's really resonating with you and this is something that you'd like to do, um, you can certainly, uh, although I said like you can't track your cycle because you don't have one, if you're planning to um, you know, come off and start using fertility awareness, many women find it helpful to actually just start <laughs> checking for cervical fluid you know, with the full ex expectation, understanding that you're not gonna see any but like just getting into the habit of doing that, taking your temperature, getting in the habit of doing that with the full understanding that you're not going to see a shift. But for some women, it's actually helpful for them to kind of like start doing it so that they can start getting their head around it um, while they're also reading books and learning and, you know, listening to podcasts like yours and mine. And so you can certainly start doing those actions. I would just say, as long as you're good, as long as you know that you're not like, you're not disappointed, like where's the beak? It's like, as long as you're good, like you understand, but you can certainly start doing those things. And I mean, we don't have time to go into all of the things <laughs> or anything, I know. but when you're considering coming off of hormonal birth control, or if you're taking it right now, it's really helpful and important to know that hormonal birth control is known to deplete a number of nutrients, particularly B vitamins and zinc and, you know, magnesium, selenium, coenzyme Q10, like it goes on and on. And so one of the things that you can do in general, you know, is just to either, you know, ensure that you're upping some of the, like the foods that I recommend to get some of these nutrients are like liver and organ meats, not everyone's cup of tea. Um, but you could certainly have that in mind and consider something like a B complex or, you know, eat some zinc rich foods on a regular basis, because kind of in if you're planning to come off, a lot of women are also concerned, particularly if they were taking it because they had bad PMS symptoms, or because they had cycle irregularities or pain. So you can start learning about how to handle these things and start kind of proactively, you know, beginning to address them while you're still on the pill to kind of ease that transition that can be a way to also start connecting with your body and um, kind of shift the mindset. Yeah, I really like that. And just getting, getting the education. And so you do talk a lot. There's just a, uh, yes, I wish we could talk around. It, um, it was a big book. It's like, <laughs> it I know, but, but all these factors are important. They all fit together in this bigger picture of our health as women and um, so if you're interested in more, you being the listeners of uh, more education around what birth control is actually doing and, um, and not doing and influencing, it's just really good information because, and you do mention this, it's just all about having uh, intentional choice if you do choose to be on birth control, you know exactly why, and you can care for your body in other supportive ways. And if you choose not to, because a lot of women feel they don't want to be on birth control, but they don't feel like they have any other options, there are other options. And so how can people, if they want to learn more, find you, your work, you do have a podcast, Fertility Fridays, that you talk about all sorts of 
these wonderful topics in more depth with other experts and such. So um, yeah, how can people find you? Well, thank you so much for that. Um, so the book is The Fifth Vital Sign, Master Your Cycles and Optimize Your Fertility. And you can get the first chapter for free if you want to, thefifthvitalsignbook.com. And everything that we talked about today is, is talked about. And for the science nerds out there, I did cite a lot of research. And I think, I mean, there's lots of reasons for that. But one of the reasons is because this is a burgeoning field that not everybody takes seriously. You know, a lot of people don't know that it's a thing. A lot of people think that modern fertility awareness-based methods are the same as the rhythm method of the 30s. And they're actually different <laughs> and evidence-based. And so I wanted to at least give that confidence like, oh, look, there's all these, if, if you happen to be a research head, you can actually grab, pull the studies yourself and see it. So you don't have to take my word for anything, which is helpful. Um, and yeah, if you're interested in this topic, if it really resonated with you, the Fertility Friday podcast has been going for a while. This is the sixth year wow. as we record this and there's <laughs> over 300 episodes. So lots of vagina talk. Um, so just type Fertility Friday into your <laughs> favorite uh, player. And I'm also at, at Fertility Friday on Instagram. I talk about a lot of interesting things over there as well. Awesome. And to close, if you could, we are living in such a weird time. There's a lot going on. Our stress levels are high. Our anxieties. Um, do you have any words of wisdom or hope or even just fuel for us to consider during this time on how important it is for us to nourish ourselves and and the healing role and the calming role that um, tuning into this part of ourself can do to help us deal with what we're dealing with right now in the world. Yeah, it's definitely a very strange time. What I would say is that with all these years of, of charting, like when I was first introduced to it, I just thought it was cool birth control. Like imagine this 18 year old girl, like this is awesome. This is really cool. Uh, but it's not, that's, it's so much more than that. So with charting, what I found, the deeper aspects of it, I suppose, it's like the, I, I like the iceberg analogy a lot because you come for the, you know, the birth control or the conception, like how to time sex. And there's this like 90% that you didn't come for is under the water. And what it really does is connect you to your intuition, to that voice inside of you that really is never wrong. Uh, I think most of us have had that experience where we had that kind of feeling that there was something wrong at whatever point in your life, <laughs> whether it was related to something along the lines of, you know, your cycle or whether it was something different, you know, different experience in your life where you didn't listen <laughs> to the voice and you kind of got yourself into trouble. And so the way that I see getting through this crazy time is, it might sound too simplistic, but I feel like a big part of it is for us as a collective human being, you know, human beings everywhere, for us to start really tuning in to our intuition, to what feels right, what, what actually, um, I guess you could just say what the voice is telling you. So whether that's related to your health, so paying attention to how you feel, 
starting to tune into whether you feel good or not, you know, the habits you have, do they make you feel better? Do they give you more energy? Do they um, make you feel more excited about life? Or like one of my bad habits is the phone, like the Instagram, you know, and it's part of my business too. So I'm like on this thing all the time. Does it make you feel good? Do you need to maybe put some boundaries around that? And even this can be applied to broader, you know, broader issues, uh, <laughs> government policies or whatever. Like, does it make you feel good? Like just really tuning into the intuition. Cause I think it's really easy to, to lose sight of what, is important to you and what is good for you while you try to kind of fit in with what everybody else is doing. And the older that I get, the more that I realize that it's really important to be true to ourselves. Um, it's not, I'm not saying it's like to be selfish, but it's like, I have, I'm a, I'm a mother. I've got um, two, two boys age seven and five. And if I don't take care of myself, I can't really take care of them. So a big part of it is, filling our own cups and figuring out what's going to work for us so that we can actually be present and be at our best for those who depend on us. That was kind of long, but that's my answer. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's perfectly in alignment with what we talk a lot about on this podcast. I mean, you're on the simple self-care podcast, so the simpler, the better. <laughs> and it's part of the mission that I have is to just bring everybody home to themselves, just to like, we can learn so much on how to do that. But at the end of the day, it's what is the thing that brings you back to your intuition and amplifies your inner wisdom. And I think as women charting our cycles can be just, yeah, the, the deeper part. So I love, it was perfect. <laughs> it was a great way to close the conversation and tie it all together. So, and I know it'll resonate a lot with the listeners because that's, what we're all about over here. So awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, I will link to all of your things in the show notes and just thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you. This was great. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Randy Kay, a holistic health practitioner and educator that has been helping people heal through body work, therapeutic yoga, and self-care coaching for over a decade. My mission is to help people simplify the healing journey by amplifying their own inner wisdom and teaching seasonal self-care practices. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or post it on social media. And if you do that, please tag me so I can see it and connect with you that way at Naturally Randy K. You can also commune with me via email if you sign up for my weekly-ish <laughs> newsletter, The Simple Letters. You can sign up at naturallyrandyk.com slash newsletter. That's naturally, R-A-N-D-I-K-A-Y dot com slash newsletter. And hearing from you in some way totally makes my life. And I always make sure to personally respond. And be sure to join me next time as the self-care conversation continues. Until we meet again, take good care and enjoy the journey.